Welcome back to another episode of GivePod, Greater Vancouver's premier business podcast, where we delve into the challenges and opportunities facing our region. I'm Bridget Anderson, CEO and President of the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. And you are listening to the first episode of our newest series about the future of work and mental health in the workplace. The 2020s ushered in a transformative era. The pandemic challenged traditional work paradigms and shined a spotlight on the crucial intersection of mental health and productivity. As the world grapples with these changes, employers who value mental wellness emerge as beacons, attracting top talent and increasing retention rates. But before we can begin unraveling the blueprint for success in the new era of work, we need to better understand the problems and set ourselves up for success, which is why today I am joined by Paula Allen, Global Leader and Senior Vice President of Research and Client Insights at TELUS Health. Paula and her team conduct in-depth research compiling the TELUS Mental Health Index, which provides insight into the mental health of employed adults and the trend over time across Canada, the U.S., the Asia-Pacific, and the U.K. and Europe. Welcome, Paula. So nice to have you here with us. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. Okay, let's start from the beginning then. What is the TELUS Mental Health Index? So the Mental Health Index is is something that uh, TELUS publishes on an ongoing basis, makes it freely available to individuals, businesses, And really what it answers is the big question of where are we in terms of our collective mental health? And you've probably heard the the term, we can't improve what you don't measure. Well, we have to measure it. You know, everything is impacted by our mental health, our economy, our relationships, our physical health, everything. So with something so important, we have to understand it well, and we have to understand how to move forward. So... With that understanding, several years ago, uh, 2017, we really did a a wide scan of everything that was available publicly uh, from private sources and really didn't find anything suitable. So we went about developing it and researched and validated and collected benchmarks on the Mental Health Index for three years and launched it in April of 2020. And we've been publishing monthly ever since. Okay, so you launch it in April of 2020, which is mere weeks after a global pandemic really brought so many of us to our knees. I, it was such a distressing time. How interesting that there was the intersection there of that timing when we were entering into a pretty prolonged period of mental distress. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we didn't plan to have a pandemic around the time of our launch, but it was it was interesting that that, that happened. Um, what it really showed us is our collective vulnerability. We, we had the baseline data between 2017 and 19, and yes, we had ups and downs, but the decline that we saw compared to December 2019 and April of 2020 was astounding. So we know that a lot of things that happen around the pandemic, the human mind doesn't like. We don't like rapid change that we don't control. We don't uh, respond well to a sense of isolation. There's risk, there's uncertainty. These are all things that we knew would impact our mental health. But boy, did we ever underestimate just how much. But what's most important now is that it really hasn't recovered to where it was before, not by far. 
So we still have more than double the portion in the working population who are considered high risk in terms of their mental health. And that is what, like, that, that kind of doubling is astounding. And it really does seem like what happened over that long period of time, that strain, that ongoing stress has reset our collective mental health. I'm really surprised by that finding. Um, not that there was a significant decline in mental health and wellness, because I think, you know, even personally, I think everybody would say, and me included, that it was a difficult, very difficult time. Yeah. But what, I mean, I am feeling post-pandemic now, and I look around, and in the business community, there's lots of events, and people are connecting, and it does seem to be like before times. But you're saying, no, we are not there with our mental health. Why do you think that it is that we haven't bounced back? Oh, many reasons. Um, one is when you when you th think about what happened, you know, many people are actually even used to, using the, the, the term of social trauma. Mm -hmm. So with the change uncertainty, everything that we had and for a long period of time. And that long period of time is kind of an important thing to remember when we over um, the course of, on an ongoing basis, have anxiety, have uncertainty, have risk, uh, have the polarization that we even had in society. You know, you're, the part of your brain that responds in a fight and flight manner, that kind of gets over-engaged. You know, that becomes your, a bit of your norm. And it kind of competes for energy with the part of your brain that's responsible for emotional control empathy, you know, the things that really balance us. So over a period of time, we developed that kind of norm. And one of the things that we found as well in the index when going under the hood is that people are a bit more sensitive to stress, a little bit quicker to anger, a little bit more cynical. And, and, and that impacts us in a number of ways. Number one, that kind of thought process, that kind of response to stimuli, like when you're, you know, you see something and immediately you're a little bit, you know, on edge. Over, over a period of time, that impacts your own well-being, but also impacts the person that you're dealing with. You know, think about the person in a service role, in a job. Think about relationships. So it kind of puts us in a bit of a different place. So we see that happening with a good portion of the population, but we also saw people who were high risk before get into a little bit of a worse situation when all of this was happening. So there's a number of things going on that have put us in this sort of more compromised uh, position. But again, you know, I'm not, I'm a very, very strong optimist, but the only way I can be optimistic is if I know what's going on so I can know how to take my next step. So the whole purpose of this is for us to not just let this happen, you know, get back to where we were or better. Yeah, that's such a good point because, you know, for an employer, um, you know, seeing the impact of declining mental health in the workplace, you were talking about those sort of frontline workers and, uh, but, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of business uh, that one might have. If you're seeing declining mental health, there's an impact on productivity, on employee yeah. culture, on a whole bunch of different levels. This data, though, then would provide an opportunity for employers to address what's happening. So how do employers use this data to address some of the challenges that they might be facing amongst their, their staff and in their workplace? 
Yeah, that's a great point. Um, we, we, we consider the mental health index uh, for good for individuals. So individuals would take this information, you know, really get a sense of uh, awareness. There's certain things that they can take away and hopefully prompt action uh, and for guidance for organization, which is exactly to the point that you, you had mentioned. One thing that is absolutely clear is that we, we know very well that there are two parts to uh, ment mental health in the workplace. One part is the support that you give to individuals. And individuals right now need that little bit more support. So a full continuum of support, you know, helping people with their well-being so they understand how to manage stress. They, they, uh, you have uh, coaching around relationships, uh, but also more in-depth care. And, you know, we take this information at the Mental Health Index really seriously at Telus Health as well. And we've actually even redeveloped uh, some of our services because we know that there is increased complexity in the working population. And we have a wonderful resource in terms of EAP, but we also have something called Total Mental Health that goes a little bit further. We even have care navigation that will you know, link to other services. Uh, we have that ongoing care because we know that that is basically the need of the population right now. So the service is one thing and there's many ways organizations can get it. The other thing that is really important is workplace culture. So your training of your managers, the attitudes that you, 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 you model in terms of work, your environment is very important. And we know that when you have both together working well, we see better scores. What we saw through the pandemic is organizations that had solid services, that communicated those services very well, that trained their managers, that showed their employees that they cared about them. Those individuals, even though the average went down, individuals in those employers, they stayed pretty close to where we were before. It really did have a protective effect. So during the pandemic, we all, well, everybody who could, uh, worked from home and a majority of people worked from home with the exception of frontline workers. And I think it's important to recognize that because many people didn't have the opportunity to work from home, but the majority of people worked from home. We are now post-pandemic and a lot of businesses are still in this hybrid model where some employees may work from home all the time still. Maybe they come into the office one or two or three days a week. What does the mental health index say about the impact of this hybrid work environment? A lot has been said about productivity and collaboration and creativity, but what is there? Is there a correlation between mental health and the hybrid or remote work environment and people feeling isolated? We've actually started tracking that and, and really looked at where people were in terms of their, their work situation and, and haven't seen enough of a difference yet to feel comfortable to say that there is a difference. I mean, we would only communicate things that are statistically different. So I think it's still early stages, uh, but what we do see, what we absolutely see is that there are some other factors that, that differentiate. So trust is a huge thing. Uh, and I jumped sort of right into it, but let me sort of let you know why I jumped into it. Mm -hmm. People need a sense of belonging. People need 
social support. That helps us manage stress. That's how we're built as human beings. You know, when, you, when you're in a situation, think about, you know, anthropologically years ago, uh, decades ago, centuries ago, if you didn't have a tribe, a community, you know, you know, other people around you, you would just die. You know, so we, we are attuned to make sure that we're not isolated. And when we are isolated, it impacts our physical health as well as our mental health. That isolation is a risk right now in our society overall that started well before the pandemic. But when we look at isolation, it's not just about having social connections and interactions. People can feel pretty isolated even if they have that, you know, actual human beings around them. It is relationships that are trusted. That is what makes a difference. Being tethered so, to one another is the connectivity. Is that what you're speaking about? It is that trust between human beings, the trust between individuals, the trust between a workplace and its employees and vice versa. So if there is something that I would focus on very, very strongly, whether it's hybrid or whether you're in the office or whether people are working, uh, working from home, organizations make decisions on that all the time. And it's those are the decisions for them to make. But whatever it is, if you don't focus on building trust with your employees through, you know, offering them some flexibility that says you trust them. And flexibility can come in a whole bunch of different ways, even if it's even if you can't work from home. Uh, providing support, because if you trust somebody, they care about your well-being. So it's important to show that. And communicating. I think one of the things that really we forget is how important just those points of communication are, which might be easier if you're seeing each other in the office, but if you're not, you still need to communicate on an ongoing basis, particularly manager to employee. And there are lots of studies uh, that are completely focused on trust. Um, and I, I think your point is so well taken because we are seeing, you know, a uh, uh, an eroding trust, whether we're talking about in the workplace or in democracy or in society. And mm -hmm. so is that one of the keys for employers is to focus on building trust, which will then help to lift well-being and then productivity and all of the things that go with that? 100%. Absolutely. Without question. And there, there have been studies that have shown this as well. You know, between high and low trust organizations, employees have less stress, 40% less burnout, uh, up to 100% uh, more effective uh, communication, uh, collaboration, and productivity. Like it wraps around the world twice, but it also helps people's health and well being, which therefore also reinforces, reinforces their ability to be productive. You just think, think about think about yourself if you're in a low trust environment. What happens to you? That lack of trust is going to engage your brain. You're going to be more anxious. You're going to be distracted because you're wondering about, you know, do do people care about my well-being or is there a dagger in my back? So it actually makes it impossible for your full potential to show itself because your mind is being taken up even without your awareness just subconsciously dealing with that lack of trust who needs that like you're you know you that that doesn't doesn't make any business sense whatsoever well let's talk about cost here um you know i at a time where 
families and individuals are facing incredible affordability challenges. So are businesses, and particularly those in small and medium businesses are really struggling with increased costs and inflation, uh, increased debt levels, et cetera. So the cost to mental health, uh, declining mental health in the workplace, I think we can all understand that you're not getting the best from your employees. Um, perhaps they're um, not working to their full potential or the pro that whatever product or service they're providing is is not at where it used to be. So where should employers think about investing, you know, thinking about it as a as a cost? Because I know that things have changed on on the benefits side in a lot of ways since the pandemic. But where could employers really invest that they would see some return on investment in the in, in the mental health and wellness area? Yeah, great question. It doesn't need to be massive or fancy or anything of that sort, but there's two things that are fundamental. I'm glad you named them as investments as opposed to cost because it absolutely are investments. One is at a minimum, have a strong employee assistance program and communicate that program. So we, you know, we very unfortunately are dealing with all sorts of issues. <clears throat> Many employers wouldn't even know how frequently employee assistance programs are dealing with employees or family members at risk of dying by suicide. Uh, we are dealing with domestic situations that are quite difficult. We are helping people uh, navigate, you know, through the maze of, of, of how to get supports if they need to have out, outside, out, outside supports. We have other services, financial consultation, legal consultation, things that are very tangible in, in terms of people's lives and creating stress in people's lives. If there is a service that can help your employees lighten their load from a crisis situation to something that could develop into a crisis if it's not, not addressed, why wouldn't you do it? Particularly since it's like 1% or less of a benefit plan. Like it's one of the most cost-effective services you could ever imagine. So that's one thing. Other thing that I would do is train your managers. And again, this is not stuff that's, that's expensive. But, you know, people talk about work culture all the time. Your managers are the ones who transmit that culture. You know, their behavior, their attitudes, all of that is important. And you could have managers that are wonderful, kind people. It doesn't necessarily mean that they have the knowledge on how to create a mentally healthy work team, how to step in when appropriately step in and not become counselors when somebody is, is, is struggling. So you will get multiples back in terms of the benefit if you, if you actually train your manager as well. I mean, really the role and responsibilities of the employer and those in management has really shifted. You know, it's very clear that the desires, the demands of the employee are, are different now too, that there used to be more separation between personal life and professional life. But now I think that's one thing that employers are learning is that you really do have to have that holistic view of your employees in order to have a really thriving workplace. Yeah. And, and part of that too, is that the bar has, has, is, is always going up. So what is expected right now of employees in terms of innovation? What's expected in terms of 
customer service, what's expected in terms of problem solving, is pretty it's pretty high. Like the bar is pretty high, and it's not getting any lower. It's getting mm-hmm. higher. And and these are all the things that are impacted by your well-being, you know, that ability to sort of bring your full self to be clear. And there there was research that was done. It's 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 uh, a few years old now, but it still stands very valid and has been replicated, where they looked at work teams, uh, and in Google, high-performing work teams, you know, everybody was a, a genius, and. There was differences, as there always are differences, between the ones that really stood out and the ones that that were doing well. And the ones that really stood out, one of the factors was these had psychologically safe work environments, you know, where, you know, the manager's behavior was such that people sent, uh, felt that sense of belonging, that sense of uh, validation and respect that sense of ability to be yourself and to say what's on your mind so you could contribute fully. So there are very tangible business reasons why psychologically safe, mentally healthy, whatever you want to call it, why that kind of workplace is more important now than it ever has been. And again, if you, no matter what you put in your policies, if you don't train your managers, you're not going to actually achieve the best result. So true. So looking ahead, you know, we are now, I think would say fair to say that the pandemic is very clearly in the rearview mirror. And so now we're into this new age and trying to find a balance around hybrid work and employee expectations. The labor market is sort of settling down. So maybe things are coming a bit more to a balanced uh, situation in the workplace. What are some of the trends and how is this evolving? You know, what will you be watching for in the next year or two or three yeah, so within the mental health index, we have certain subscores that are that are Im- important, um, and these are the things that really make the biggest difference in our collective mental health. There's three that we look at. We look at all of them, <laughs> but there's three that are really popped up as really important to to, to look at very very closely. Um, anxiety and isolation have been our lowest subscores for quite some time, and we're seeing the the, the 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 proportion of those uh, who are younger in the workforce, so mm. twenty to twenty nine, thirty to thirty nine, their scores are much lower. So it really does separate based on uh, uh, age cohorts. So this is something to really sort of pay attention to because, you know, we know the change of life, you know, you're starting a family or or you're starting a job or whatever, that that's stressful, but it doesn't seem to be that. It seems like the younger cohorts are feeling more anxious, have greater sense of isolation and are carrying that through. So this is a risk that's going to even be more dominant in the, in the workplace going forward, again, unless we're able to manage it better than we are now. I'm not sure whether the mental health index takes a look at the impact of social media. I'm thinking about that younger cohort. I've got two kids in their early 20s and just what a different experience that they're having compared to when I was that age. So it'd be interesting to follow that over the next few years. Yeah, there's there's a there's a lot on social media, but there's a lot. Our um our trend to be more isolated actually predated the social media explosion. Although you know it might contribute to it in some for some people, you know we are think about this. 
when we started having um, machines and cars and things of that sort, and you know, that's, that was wonderful. We were able to move faster. We were able to get things done. And I can tell you, nobody is going to take my car away from me. But what did it do to our physical health? We didn't have to move as much. You know, you can drive everywhere. You can, you can have machinery do your stuff. You could literally just be completely sedentary. So we had to be more intentional about getting physical exercise, going to the gym, et cetera, et cetera. Think about what's happened from a mental health point of view. You know, we have technology, which is wonderful. Like it's saving lives. It's, it's helping us move forward as a society. It's accelerated the economy. Nobody is going to take that away. And I don't want that either. But it has allowed us to not have to connect as much as we did before. It has given us ways of connecting that might not be as healthy as, as other ways of connecting. So we have to just be intentional. We have to play the ball where it lay. We have to be intentional about reaching out. We found the volunteer work actually was very helpful for people's well-being. You know, the, having more patience. We're finding that, you know, when you have a relationship, we're so used to go, 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 that sometimes we don't even have the patience in a relationship to allow that trust and connection to, be, to, to get built. So I do think that we have to start thinking about how intentionally we support our own mental health. That quite hasn't happened yet, but I'm, I'm optimistic that it will. Well, and I think with this tool, we certainly can be more intentional. And it was unintentional, but your comments around technology lay the foundation for some more of these kinds of conversations we're going to have in this series around the future of work, because technology is such a big part of this. Paula, Thank you so much for joining us today. I really think this was a, a fantastic conversation and the tool that you're working on with the uh, TELUS Mental Health Index provides really important insights for us to support our workplace and our teams. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. And thank you for covering this topic. It's, it's critically important for us all to, to hear and learn.